Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you're well and that you are beginning to walk in Passion Tide. Yesterday was the first Passion Sunday. <clears throat> Next Sunday will be the second Passion Sunday, known also as Palm Sunday. I know in the Novus Ordo churches, it's simply the fifth Sunday of Lent. And then next week will be Palm Sunday, which is interchangeably called Passion Sunday, but in the older calendar, um, it's Passion Tide, which is two weeks. The first week is Passion Week. The second week is the second week of Passion Tide or um, Holy Week. Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. So we're in a very, very special time of year. And I would wish to encourage you, no matter how your Lenten um, intentions have gone, <clears throat> whether you failed, whether you've kept them, do not be discouraged. These two weeks, we can start again. We can walk more deeply with our Lord as he goes to Jerusalem to be killed by us. Um, it's a great, I find it a great privilege uh, to be Catholic to know the truth, and to walk with our Lord throughout his entire life, all year, but especially these two weeks. We began walking with him through 40 days in the wilderness, and we end now walking with him to Jerusalem, to Calvary, to be slain, the Lamb of God, who for sinners was slain. Um, and I have a, uh, because we're Benedictine, um, Dom Geringer, Dom Prosper Geringer, who lived in the 1800s, who restored Gregorian chant to Europe and um, was the abbot of St. Peter's Abbey. He's written a 15-volume set on the liturgical year, and it's truly, truly beautiful. And I have one article here on the history of Passion Tide and Holy Week. So... We will return to This is the Faith, um, I think, after Easter in two weeks. But I think this two, these two weeks leading up to our Lord's resurrection, it would be good to focus on Passion Tide and all that he went through for us, the Lamb of God slain. And Dom Garanger has an article titled The History of Passion Tide and Holy Week. <clears throat> And um, I'm going to read it to us, and just a reminder that um, you are welcome to call in um, uh, anytime during the program, um, and the toll-free number is one 511 5483 or you may email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We already have a call from Pat. You're an early bird, Pat, from Pennsylvania. Hi. Hi, Mother. How are you? No, I'm just fine. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Um, Good. I just had a question. Um, here recently I went to a healing mass, 
at our church, uh, and we, as I walked in, I knew we were going to be having music, and uh, from some band, I don't know. <laughs> and so as I walked in, I heard the music, and it surprised me because it was like I was in a Southern Baptist uh, church, and I went in, and I, I wasn't real. I'm I'm more traditional. I like the old Catholic hymns. So I went in and I sat down, and it was it was really upsetting to me. <laughs> so I sat there and I thought, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. What are they going to be doing? Standing up, clapping, and you know, I, I, it just bothered me. So, but I continued to do it, and I I stayed for the healing mass. Well, then I went up to the priest for the uh, the you know to pray over me, and um, he started talking in tongues, which I had never had that happened before Mm -hmm. um is this something new or uh, you know i don't know our church has never had this originally our church was a a pretty traditional uh old-fashioned church well then we consolidated with two other churches and so things have you know been changing a little bit so i just you know is this something new no it's not new um It's been happening for many years. I think it actually, the charismatic movement, I think, actually began in the Catholic Church um, and spread to Protestantism and all over the place. But were you in an actual Mass, morning or evening Mass? It was an an evening Mass. Okay, no. Uh, I would have walked out, Pat. I would have simply walked out. The music, guitars and all that, no, it, it, they just had a, a piano, and then, but they had a, a girl singing, and she was very, um, what do I want to say, demonstrative, you know, just very clapping. Mm-hmm. And, but then, mm-hmm. that was the very beginning when I went in, and as, uh, now during the Mass, they, they weren't quite like that. But when I walked in and they were playing that music, I felt like they were going to start dancing up on the altar or something, you know? Like, right, oh right. I would have walked out myself. I would have walked out. But you needed to get to Mass. You would have had to go into another church if you could still do that since it was evening. Um, there are healing massage, uh, Masses, Pat, or healing services apart from Mass that um, may be legitimate. If, if God has certainly has, has given a priest uh, the gift of healing, uh, I think every priest has that gift to some extent. But to have a, a charismatic healing mass, which you had, I don't believe belongs uh, at the mass. I don't believe it belongs at a mass. Uh, we come to mass to worship God and let him heal us as he wills, but it should be reverent. So what went on at your church might have gone on at a separate time, uh, and yet the music and the girls singing uh, has nothing to do with reverence or being Catholic. So I would not continue um, with that church if you could find another church. Well, this same group is going to be in with it. Uh, they're going to have adoration, and they're going to they're have the same group, and I'm... Um, I mean, no. I, I won't go. Just go. I, don't. Don't, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. I would just find another church, even if it's a Latin mass. I'd find another church. This is, um, the reverence is being lost in the Catholic Church among the people. We go to worship God. The charismatic 
so-called worship is extremely man-centered. Uh, we may sing, sing about God, but it's man-centered. It, it does not belong at Mass. All right. Well, I was wondering if I was thinking the wrong when I went in and I felt like walking back out. I thought, I don't know if this is right or not, you know, and um. I would find I know there's the number of people that will argue with me and disagree. But um, we go to church to worship God. And, um, you know, if he's there in the Eucharist, as you know, and as you believe, if he were there in person, um, there would not be any girl singing by the piano. If he were there in a full apparition, uh, looking like he did when he walked on earth, no one would be playing the piano and singing. Everyone would be prostrate before him. Such activities would never go on if, they, if their faith was true. Yeah. Okay. So I would find well, another church, Pat. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate the, the insight sure. into it. All right, All sweetheart. Right. And uh, there are many people that are going to disagree with me. I know that. But uh, that's, that's what I believe. All right, sweetheart. I'm glad okay. you called in. Thanks. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> well, I'm going to begin to read the history of Passion Tide and Holy Week, which began yesterday, Passion Sunday, the first Passion Sunday, by Dom Prosper Garanger. And again, if you um, wish to call in at any time, uh, feel free to do so, one 511 5483 or email at cross.com. I know there's going to be a number of people who disagree with what I said to Pat. Um, uh, It's happened in the churches I've attended, and I will not be a part of it. It's not appropriate for Mass. There's other times such services can be held, but not at Mass and not in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Dom Garanger writes this about Holy Week and and, uh, I'm saying in Mass, Passion Tide and Holy Week. He says the most, the most ancient sacramentaries and antiphonaries of the several churches attest by the prayers, the lessons, and the whole liturgy of these two weeks that the passion of our Lord is now the one sole thought of the Christian world. And I say if that was the case, Pat, yesterday, what went on in your church would not have gone on. <clears throat> it's a man-centered Um, so-called adoration, and it's not adoration. Well, I can't say, only God can judge the hearts of the people, so I will not say it is not adoration on the parts of the people, but it is um, a great misunderstanding of who God is and why we go to Mass. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We will begin this article when we come back from the break. And again, you're welcome to call in at any time, toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
the Station of the Cross, we are blessed by the variety of donations our listeners generously contribute for our evangelization efforts, from planned gifts to employer matches. We even receive donations through transfers of stock. Please consider giving a gift of stock to help us continue sharing the love of God with our hurting world. If you are being called by God to donate through a transfer of stock from your brokerage account to ours, please ask your broker to contact us at 1-877-888-6279. Your broker will need to indicate the number of shares being transferred as well as the QCIP number of those shares. That's one 877 888-6279. Thank you for considering a gift of stock to the Station of the Cross so that we can continue proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Again, you're welcome to call in or email throughout the entire program now. And um, we are going to go ahead and read through Dom Geringer's article on the history and Passion Tide, um, history of Passion Tide and Holy Week. And um, he is outstanding, absolutely outstanding. 1800s, the abbot of St. Peter's Abbey, Benedictine Abbey in France. And he says the first sentence, which we've just began before the break, the most ancient sacramentaries and antiphonaries of the several churches attest by the prayers, the lessons, and the whole liturgy of these two weeks that the passion of our Lord is now the one sole thought of the Christian world. During Passion Week, a saint's feast, if it occur, will be kept, but Passion Sunday admits no feast, however solemn it may be. And even on those which are kept during the days intervening between Passion and Palm Sunday, there is always made a commemoration of the Passion, and the holy images are not allowed to be uncovered. We have here, I know many people, especially Novus Ordo uh, churches, cover the holy images 
uh, beginning on Passion, on the second Passion Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, we have our images fully covered now in purple for Passion Tide. We cannot give any historical details, uh, uh, Dom Garanger says. We cannot give any historical details upon the first of these two weeks, which is this week. Its ceremonies and rites have always been the same as those of the four preceding ones. We therefore refer the reader to the following chapter in which we treat of the mysteries peculiar to Passion Tide. The second week, however, which begins this coming Sunday, Palm Sunday, on the contrary, furnishes us with abundant historical details, for there is due portion of the liturgical year which has interested the Christian world so much as this, or which has given rise to such fervent manifestations of piety. I think that may be a typo. Probably it should say, for there is no portion of the liturgical year which has interested the Christian world so much as this, or which has given rise to such fervent manifestations of piety. This week was held in great veneration, even as early as the third century, as we learn from St. Denis, Bishop of Alexandria, who lived at that time in the following century. We find St. John Chrysostom um, uh, calling it the Great Week, not, says the Holy Doctor, that it has more days in it than other weeks, or that its days are made up of more hours than the other days, but we call it because of the great mysteries which are then celebrated. We find it called also by other names. It's called the Painful Week, on account of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the fatigue required from us in celebrating them. The week of indulgence, because sinners are then received to penance. And lastly, Holy Week, in allusion to the holiness of the mysteries, which are commemorated during these seven days. This last name is the one under which it most generally goes with us. And the very... Um, hmm, I'm not sure what this word is. Seems to be a few, several typos in this article. Um, I, there's a word that's missing, and the very um, something themselves are in many countries called by the same name. The seventy of the Lent, the severity of the Lenten fast is increased. During these, its last days. So, beloved, this week, and especially next week, this article is going to be more focused on next week, but let us prepare ourselves to increase our fast, to increase our sufferings, as our Lord is um, put to trial and uh, put before Pilate and walks the way of the cross and is at last crucified for us. The, secure, the severity of the Lenten fast is increased during these its last days. The whole energy of the spirit of penance is now brought out. Even with us, the dispensation which allows the use of eggs ceases toward the middle of this week. 
the Eastern churches faithful to their ancient, because there's no, in those days, beloved, uh, there was no meat during Lent, and um, eggs and dairy were allowed. Uh, now the church has just reduced everything so that there's no meat only on Fridays. As a religious community, we keep the abstinence for all of Lent. We don't have meat at all, but we do have eggs. So here it says the dispensation which allows the use of eggs ceases toward the middle of this week. The Eastern churches, faithful to their ancient traditions, have kept up a most rigorous abstinence ever since the Monday of Quinquagesima week during the whole of this long period, which they call... uh, Now, this is a new one for me also. uh, Xerophagia. They have been allowed nothing but dry food. In the early ages, fasting during Holy Week was carried to the utmost limits that human nature could endure. We learn from St. Epiphanius that there were... Um, oh, there's another word that looks like it's not um, correct. Let's just say there were some Christians who observed a strict fast from Monday morning to cockcrow of Easter Sunday. Of course, it must have been very few of the faithful who could go so far as this. Many passed two, three, even four consecutive days without fasting any food. But the general practice was to fast from Monday Thursday evening to Easter morning. Monday Thursday evening to Easter morning. Many Christians in the East and in Russia observe this fast even in these times. Would that such severe penance were always accompanied by a firm faith and union with the Church out of which the merit of such penitential works is of no avail for salvation. Another of the ancient practices of Holy Week were the long hours spent during the night in the churches on Monday, Thursday, after having celebrated the divine mysteries in remembrance of the Last Supper. The faithful continued a long time in prayer, and I know now that that is continued in many many churches today, probably all the Latin Mass churches, and many Reverend Novus Ordo churches as well. The night between Friday and Saturday was spent in almost uninterrupted vigil in honor of our Lord's burial. But the longest of all these vigils was that of Saturday, which was kept up till Easter Sunday morning. The whole congregation joined in. They assisted at the final preparation of the catechumens, as also at the administration of baptism. Nor did they leave the church until after the celebration of the holy sacrifice, which was not over until sunrise. Excuse me. Hold on. Cessation from servile work was for a long time an obligation during Holy Week. The civil law united with that of the church in order to bring about this solemn rest from toil and business, which so eloquently expresses the state of mourning 
of the Christian world. The thought of the sufferings and death of Jesus was the one pervading, pervading thought, the divine offices and prayer, the sole occupation of the people. And indeed, all the strength of the body was needed for the support of the austerities of fasting and abstinence. We can readily understand what an impression was made upon men's minds during the whole of the rest of the year by this universal suspension of the ordinary routine of life. Moreover, when we call to mind how, for five full weeks, the severity of Lent had waged war on the sensual appetites, we can imagine the simple and honest joy wherewith was welcomed the feast of Easter, which brought both the regeneration of the soul and respite to the body. Dear ones, as you prepare in your homes for Easter, don't decorate for Easter. Don't have lights and colors and Easter flags and bunnies. Don't do that. Cover your holy objects with cloth because it's a sign of our burying them because Christ is buried and will be buried. And apart from the resurrection, there's no life, there's no joy. And if you don't live the truths of our faith at home, your children will never learn them. I went into one home of a most beautiful couple with a daughter, and the daughter ran to me with her brand new, um, it was a multicolored rosary. And I said, oh, how beautiful is that? She was, I think, eight years old. That's, that's, that's no more a baby, eight years old. And I said, oh, how beautiful. Who gave that to you? And she said, the Easter Bunny. I didn't say a word. I tried not to show shock. A zero. But I thought, what an absolute tragedy. An eight-year-old girl thinks the Easter Bunny brought her a rosary. It's better to think Santa brought those things at Christmas than an Easter bunny at Easter. How so awful. Parents, you have such a responsibility to teach your children the faith. And they should know about Christ from the womb, right from your womb. Sing songs, let them hear music of Easter, let them hear the Lord Jesus Christ, his name, let him know who he is. Um, it, it's, it's, you don't, don't wait till they're a certain age. Let them know that right from your womb on. Teach them the faith, and they'll never, ever learn it if you don't live it. Because it won't be, it's just what you say. But it's not important to you because you don't live it. Live the faith, beloved, and of all times, now is the time to live the faith when, in short order, our very lives may be threatened um, with what's going on in the world. Live the faith, beloved. Teach your children the faith. Change your homes. Change the spirit. Change your minds. Change your practice. And begin to fast and spend and prepare for Holy Week and increase the fast. If you wish to color eggs, Go ahead, 
but don't do them during the Triduum. Don't do that Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 4th. Today we celebrate St. Isidore of Seville. Some people manage to thrive under difficult conditions. Today's saint is one of those people. Born in mid-6th century Spain, Isidore received a fine education at the hands of his brother. Years later, Isidore became known as the schoolmaster of the Middle Ages. He is also known for his contributions to the church and culture of Spain in a period of great conflict. The Visigoths had invaded Spain 150 years earlier and established their own capital. Though Christian, they followed the heresy of Arianism, which denied the divinity of Christ. Isidore converted many of the Visigoths and made Spain a center of culture and learning. As Archbishop of Seville, he strengthened the seminary system and founded schools that taught every branch of learning. His own writings were voluminous, including a history of the world. Devoted to the poor throughout his life, Isidore increased his charities as he aged. He prepared for his death by giving away all his possessions. In his final months, his house was filled from morning till night with poor people seeking his help. He died in 636. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We have a whole half hour to ourselves left. And again, you are welcome to call in from now on during the full hour with anything at all on your heart. I say often the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. does not need to be what we're speaking about. And again, the toll-free number is one 877 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from Kimberly, which we actually began on Friday. <clears throat> and Kimberly has two questions. I'm going to read through the first one, um, but uh, we already answered that on Friday. Um, Kimberly says, Hello, Mother Miriam. You are so wonderful, and I keep you in my prayers. God bless you. Thank you, Kimberly, and God bless you, dear one. She said, I'm an art teacher in the Catholic school. I wanted to pray before every art class, a three-minute decade of the rosary. In my classroom, I incorporate our Catholic faith with art, especially sacred art. I taught them that Fra Angelico would pray before every painting for divine inspiration. I wanted my students to follow his action of prayer. Imagine all the beautiful prayers going up to glorify God from in, 
uh, from innocent children being taken away. That is exactly, in other words, imagine those prayers being taken away from innocent children. <clears throat> that is exactly what happened, as I was told, that I could not say a three-minute decade of the rosary before art class with my students by the priest. He told me if I went to the bishop, I would be fired. I went to the bishop, and he told me I was right. This is the bishop now. The bishop told me I was right in what I was doing, but that he cannot interfere with the school schools due to the way it is set up. I have... I'm just going to say I have zero understanding of that. Zero. I, it doesn't matter, even if it's a private school. If it has the name Catholic, it's under the bishop of that diocese. I have no understanding why the bishop cannot do something about that. At least go and teach them. Um, uh, let's see now. <clears throat> So he has to leave it in, in the hands of the priest and principal. The school now is slowly posting posters that subtly promote LGBTQ. I brought it to the attention of the principal, and she's not taken them down. You're in the middle of evil. I am still at the school, but they have taken away all my benefits and cut my hours in half. I have attained two other jobs on the side. I stay because I feel whatever seeds that Christ can plant using me as a tool in the midst of this ungodly school may help a child, even if it's just one child, to be close to Christ and follow him. Well, I, I give you credit for doing that. That's a very good thing. Your, your presence can also be seen as approval, but um, I think through your words and leading the children, that, that won't be a problem. <clears throat> And she says, it is, very, it is not easy being here. I eat in my classroom alone. I, along with two others, have refused the evil vaccine, and we are ostracized and bullied by other teachers. We receive horrible looks when we didn't wear masks. Christ's offering me two things. She says, but I, ironically, I feel at peace. I look at it as Christ offering me two things. One, when others are kind, it is Christ bringing me joy. When they are not and cause me to suffer, I still look at it as Christ offering me the suffering for sanctification. That way I do not harbor ill feelings. Good for you. And that is what Blessed Louisa Pecoretta said in her book of heaven. I would appreciate your thoughts on this situation. Well, I, I spoke more at length on Friday. Um, hold on just a moment. So I won't repeat them here, but I'm with you, Kimberly, all the way. I'm with you all the way, and I admire what you're doing by staying there even part-time to help those children. And she said she has a second question, which we didn't get to Friday. She says, my son was raised Catholic, <clears throat> but now he is not practicing. In fact, all three of my sons are non-practicing. I am divorced after 22 years, and I am working on an annulment. My ex-spouse was abusive physically and left our family for another woman and married her in a Protestant church. I have forgiven them by God's grace. I have masses said for my children and attend those masses I have said for them for the conversion and grace. God's will be done. I pray a rosary daily for them 
and try to teach my grandchildren the faith. I have little tea parties when I babysit my grandchildren where I teach them the faith. For example, I teach them to say grace and the rosary. We read Bible stories and the basic catechism appropriate for their age. Recently, while reading the Ten Commandments to my grandchildren, my nine-year-old granddaughter asked if it was a sin. Sorry, I have to keep clearing my throat. My nine-year-old granddaughter asked if it was a sin if a woman marries a woman. I said, yes, it is, because it goes against what Christ teaches us. They also wanted to do yoga, and I told them no. They asked why. And I said, it's okay to stretch and exercise, but not to meditate on Buddha or ourselves, but on Christ. My son and his wife now said, I cannot see my grandchildren until we are on the same page with yoga and homosexuality. Oh my goodness, how awful. My daughter-in-law said this family is not Catholic and will be open to the Muslim faith, Hindu faith, and other religions. Oh, for a mother, I can't even, Kimberly, I can't believe how shocking and heartbreaking that is. And she writes, Mother Miriam, I cannot go against Christ when my grandchildren ask me a question. Absolutely, you're right. I have to tell them the truth. Yes, you do. I will offer up the pain of not seeing them for reparation for my children. I have not responded to them yet. I know God is allowing this for a greater good. What are your thoughts on this? Well, your, your, your faith and your stance are good, Kimberly. Why your sons are, have left the faith, I don't know. Um, it certainly has something to do with the fact that your, your, your husband left and your marriage broke up after 22 years, so it could not have been uh, peaceful in the home. I don't know if your husband was Catholic, and if those, you said you raised your children Catholic, but again, if the faith is not lived in the home, and if your husband left after 22 years, it doesn't sound like he was practicing the faith. So very, very difficult. You, the faith needs to be imparted by living it, and the witness has to be there. So um, all you can do is pray for them and offer your sacrifices for them. Um, and maybe uh, when you can have an honest conversation, sincere conversation face-to-face with your son. Ask him um, what happened with his faith. Did he ever believe? When did he leave it? All of that. Maybe you could have not not critical, not judgmental, but to find out truly with respect for him where he's at and how it is that he would have left the faith. But um, um, but you're, again, you're faced with non-Catholic children and grandchildren who are being raised in that atmosphere. Um, And you need to be truthful when children ask you questions. You must be truthful. Um, And you can tell your children, your son and and his wife, that uh, you're not outwardly, you you can refrain from outwardly teaching them the rosary and prayers. You can refrain from that. Um, but you will not refrain from giving true answers when they ask. Also, if you're a godparent, you must uh, help raise them in the faith. Then you must. Okay. Um, 
let me just see this. We have a, an email from Hugh, and Hugh says, Hello, Mother. Um, thank you for your teaching of the Catholic faith. Thank you, Hugh. My son gave me this analogy of Adam and Eve and souls that are condemned. <clears throat> now, Adam and Eve were not condemned. Um, St. Ephraim said they'd be in purgatory for all of time, but um, the teaching is that our Lord went down into purgatory, into Sheol, and brought them up at his resurrection. So um, there's two different things here. My son gave me this analogy of Adam and Eve and souls that are condemned. He says, a child is punished forever for being tricked by an intelligent adult to disobey the child's parent, and the parent punishes the child forever. Um, Hugh says, any help you can give me to respond would be greatly appreciated. I am sure this was asked and answered in Catholic history. I'm just not educated enough to know a response. God bless you for all you do, Hugh. Um, this is not true. This is your son's analogy of Adam and Eve and souls that are condemned. And so he says, a child is punished forever for being tricked by an intelligent adult to disobey the child's parent. And the parent punishes the child, for, the child forever. So in Adam and Eve, God is the parent. Um, and Adam and Eve were not uh, tricked by an intelligent adult. They were tricked by Satan to disobey the parent, if that's the analogy. Adam and Eve were tricked, again, not by a parent, uh, an intelligent adult, but by Satan, if you want to say an intelligent adult, okay, to disobey the child's parent. And so Adam and Eve were tricked by Satan to disobey God, and the parent, which is God, punishes the child forever. You think that's unfair, um, but that's not the story. It's not the story. Um, Adam and Eve uh, were tricked by Satan to disobey, but it was also of their free will. But yes, they were tricked. Their responsibility is much greater than ours because they didn't have sin on their souls before then. And the child's parent, which is God, um, to disobey the child's parent. So Adam and Eve were tricked to disobey God, and God punishes them forever, but he does not. He does not punish them forever. Um, they will be in heaven. Adam and Eve will be in heaven. Through God's mercy, he killed um, animals to clothe them with the animal skins and put them out of the garden so that they would not then eat from the tree of life and live forever in their fallen state. God, in fact, rescued them by killing animals and shedding the animal's blood in their place. He absolutely rescued him. When we die, um, most of us who have not yet expiated, that is, um, atone for the temporal, not the eternal effects of our sin that separate us from God, but the temporal effects of our sin. Uh, I've given the example often of a little Johnny who plays in Mrs. Smith's backyard, and you told him not to, and he breaks the ball, goes through Mrs. Smith's window, um, um, uh, Miss Smith forgives him, and that's a good thing. 
we go to God and, and ask for forgiveness, and God forgives us. But Johnny does not truly accept that forgiveness, or his. there's no sorrow, no godly sorrow in that. If he does not, then... Um, complete his own reparation for the window and mow the lawn to earn back money to pay Mrs. Smith back for the window. It's the temporal effect for our sin that we are responsible for. God has forgiven us the eternal effects, but temporal effects we are responsible for. And so um, Adam and Eve were forgiven by God. And the fact that God killed animals and clothed them, shed the, the blood and clothed them, in advance of Christ's uh, sacrifice for all and for all time, they were forgiven, but they needed to spend um, a tremendous amount of time in purgatory in reparation for the temporal effects of their sin, and that is plunging the whole human race through them into sin. We'll be right back, dear ones, after the break. beloved, this is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as the Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to the Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. We're happy to be with you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We strive to keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and a look at the breaking news of the day. Join us on the Catholic Drive Time Show every weekday morning at 7 a.m. across the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. That's every weekday morning at 7 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there. God love you. Hey, Jim Havens here. I'm host of The Simple Truth, which airs every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. The focus of the show is authentically receiving, living, and handing on the simple truth of Jesus and his Catholic Church in a down-to-earth, no-nonsense manner. The guests are phenomenal, and each weekday has its own theme, always encouraging us to take the next step in our faith wherever we may be. It's The Simple Truth, every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. The Station the Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, dear ones. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes, and you are welcome to call in. Our lines are wide open with anything at all on your heart. Um, Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at 
thestationofthecross.com. Hold on a moment. Um, I'm going to return um, uh, at the moment to, uh-oh, here it is, the article we were reading on um, um, Passion Week, on Passion Tide, which is Passion Week, started yesterday, and then a Holy Week that'll follow beginning next Sunday, which is the second Passion Sunday, and also Palm Sunday. And Dom Geringer says that cessation during this time, particularly Holy Week, cessation from servile work was for a long time an obligation during Holy Week. Can you imagine that? The civil law united with that of the church in order to bring about this solemn rest from toil and business, which so eloquently expresses the state of mourning of the Christian world. Isn't that, doesn't that seem like a fairy tale now? Can you imagine civil society stopping and letting everybody off work so that everybody together could prepare for, um, for the triduum? <clears throat> the thought of the sufferings and death of Jesus was the one pervading thought. It, it, it seems like, it doesn't seem like past ages, it seems like a totally another world, totally other work, world from today. Um. The thought of the sufferings and death of Jesus was the one pervading thought. The divine offices and prayer were the sole occupation of the people. And indeed, all the strength of the body was needed for the support of the austerities of fasting and abstinence. Because they fasted, and truly fasted. One meal a day and two small meals that don't equal one is not fasting. It's doing something. The church accepts it. But... um, Growing up in my Jewish home, fasting 24 hours on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, um, we didn't take water unless we absolutely had to. Not one thing went in our mouth. The thought of the sufferings and death of Jesus was the one pervading thought. We can readily understand what an impression was made upon men's minds during the whole of the rest of the year by this universal suspension of the ordinary routine of life. And we are beyond this world celebrating like this, dear ones. But at least if you keep this celebration at home, your children will learn who they are. They won't merely learn the practice of religion. They will learn who they are and whose they are, and to whom we owe our very life. <clears throat> Moreover, Dom Garanger says, when we call to mind how for five full weeks the severity of Lent had waged war on the sensual appetites, we can imagine the simple and honest joy wherewith was welcomed the feast of Easter which brought forth the regeneration of the soul and respite to the body. In the preceding volume, that's the volume of the liturgical year, we mentioned the laws of the Theodosian Code, which forbade all law, all law business during the 40 days preceding Easter. Oh, it's such a fairy tale to even think that that happened once. And this is two centuries ago. Amazing. No, I guess it's four centuries ago. 
This law of Gratian and Theodosius, which was published in 380, was extended by Theodosius in 389. This new decree forbade all pleadings during the seven days before and the seven days after Easter. We meet with several allusions to this, then Regent Law, in the homilies of St. John Chrysostom and in the sermons of St. Augustine. In virtue of this degree, each of these 15 days was considered, as far as the courts of law were concerned, as a Sunday. The week before and the week after Easter was considered as a Sunday, holy days. And it is still with us that every single day in the week of Easter is a holy day, first-class feast, holy Monday, holy Tuesday, holy Wednesday, throughout the week. They're holy days. You should not be in shopping malls, dear ones. The only focus should be Christ and his resurrection and the God who came to earth to give us life. Dom Geringer continues, but Christian princes were not satisfied with the mere suspension of, suspension of human justice during these days, which are so emphatically days of mercy. They would, moreover, pay homage by an external act to the fatherly goodness of God, who has deigned to pardon a guilty world through the merits of the death of his son. The church was on the point of giving reconciliation to repentant sinners who had broken the chains of sin whereby they were held captives. Christian princes were ambitious to imitate this, their mother, their mother, the church. Oh, dear ones, you know, the world, who do you think fills all the shopping malls and decorates them? It's Satan's army. It's Satan's army. You know, it's not evil. We don't think it's evil. It's good. It's happy. It's rejoicing. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with decorating Easter eggs. Everything is subtle to draw us away from God. Everything is subtle to draw us away from God. Bunnies and eggs have nothing to do with Easter. They represent new life, yes, but only because of the Christ who lived and died for us. Again, dear ones, I'm just taking a look to see. Okay, no, we have, um, we have a couple of minutes left. Um, let me continue here. <clears throat> we are told by St. John Chrysostom that this emperor sent letters of pardon to the several cities, ordering that the release of prisoners and granting life to those that had been condemned to death and all this in order to sanctify the days preceding the Easter feast. The last emperors made a law of this custom, as we find in one of St. Leo's sermons, where he thus speaks of their clemency. Quote, The Roman emperors have long observed this holy practice in honor of our Lord's passion and resurrection. They humbly withhold the exercise of their sovereign justice And laying aside the severity of their laws, they grant pardon to a great number of criminals. Therein, tension in this is to imitate the divine goodness 
by their own exercise of clemency during these days when the world owes its salvation to the divine mercy. Let then the Christian people imitate their princes and let the example of kings induce subjects to forgive each other their private wrongs. For surely it is absurd that the private laws should be less unrelenting than those which are public. Let trespasses be forgiven. Let bonds be taken off. Let offenses be forgotten. Let revenge be stifled, that thus the saved feast may by both divine and human favors find us all happy and innocent. Dear parents, um, you need to practice this with your family. Forgive one another now. Forgive your children. The punishments you've given them explain what this season is and that God's mercy forgives them and let them go, but let them understand why. God bless you, dear ones. We'll be with you tomorrow.